For February 10th, 2020, it's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 606. Not the mama. Welcome to Overthinking It, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. The overthinkers are like your smart, funny friends from the internet. We're never happier when we are hanging out and uh, talking about the things that interest us, because everything that interests us alone is much more interesting together. I'm Matt Rather, and I'm joined by Peter Fenzel. Hey, Pete. Hey, Matt. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Well, we're live on the red carpet at the uh, at the Oscars tonight. At the hotel from The Shining. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a just a, a wave of Mountain Dew crashing <laughs> down the uh, down the thing. And Brian Cranston is here for some for some reason. No, Pete. I think we've misremembered that film. Oh really? I think yeah. I think we're mistaking it from the uh, for for the Super Bowl commercial that we talked about last week. And and uh, my but is goodness. it a strong misremembering or a weak misremembering? <laughs> I have to unpack what that means in a second. It is <laughs> it is weird though that that you know just one week after the Super Bowl, it's time for the Oscars. I'm used to award season. I mean, and living in, it's a different thing. I think living in LA, even though I don't do entertainment things anymore, I was never in the entertainment industry, uh, per se. I was in the, 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 the entertainment charity, perhaps. You were an entertainer. (laughs) Well, sure. And a a professional entertainer, which means I made my union minimum salary of $215 a week before taxes. And never quite managed to earn health insurance because I couldn't get enough weeks, couldn't get enough equity weeks. So, you know, it, it, like, I don't, I don't mean to come off, uh, like I know what the heck I'm talking about, but it is like living in LA, you do get it by osmosis. And there is this like long, months long, joyless slog, uh, you know, that begins after Labor Day and and continues until March, but now only until February. Joy, joy is back again, Pete, because the award season is ending. It's just done tonight. There, <laughs> nothing will ever be awarded ever again uh, at the. And we thought we thought it would be a good time to to talk about movies, but you know we're nostalgic for the old days of overthinking it when we would on the podcast talk for an hour with a panel and review films that we had not seen. Um, which <laughs> many of our listeners... Don't turn it off yet. We have an angle. We have a hook. <laughs> many many of our listeners found that infuriating at the time. But if you've made it these 11 years, you must have found it charming, delightful. Uh, and so we're, uh, we have kind of an, an, an angle on this idea of, of movies that you haven't seen. Because whether or not you've seen some movies... Sorry, I should have started that sentence differently. There are some movies that you have seen, whether or not you've seen them actually, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Right, Pete? Like, uh, I don't know, quotes actually are all around us. (laughs) Have you not seen that one? (laughs) No, I've seen Love Actually. Okay. I actually, I rewatched it this Christmas season and and it, it, uh, I don't know, it, 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 it does its job. Uh, <laughs> I lost you for a second there, Pete. Were you were you <laughs> contemplating the yeah. beauty of love? Actually, 
No, no, no. It went silent, and I thought that you were saying something, and I couldn't hear you, when in fact you were not saying anything, and I could hear you. Yeah. So there you go. There you go. Um, I will say that uh, – so there are two points of inspiration for me for talking about it this week, right? Uh, what we want to talk about, we're talking about movies that we, we haven't seen, and specifically – uh, what we mean by that, we mean the parts of movies or the, I guess, the idea of the movie that you have seen that exists despite the fact that you haven't actually sat down and watched the movie. And the first was the death of Kirk Douglas, right? You could you could perhaps say uh, screen legend Kirk Douglas, right? Uh, grandfather of modern Hollywood, Kirk Douglas, uh, who is a uh, he, you know, in the movie Airplane, when Peter Graves asks the little boy if you've ever seen any gladiator movies. Kirk Douglas was in the Gladiator movies uh, that the little boy has not seen. But uh, that notwithstanding, specifically, Kirk Douglas is in the movie Spartacus. And we considered for this podcast to watch the movie Spartacus and talk about it because, you know, uh, sword and sandal, right, is the genre, which is a term I feel like I never heard prior to the last couple of years. But it must have existed on some level, right, unless this is some sort of Berenstein Bears situation or Berenstein Berenstein Bears situation that um, now I've seen Spartacus. Uh, you know, I, Pete, funny enough, in the original German, it's pronounced Rogers. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. So Kirk Douglas is in this classic movie about a gladiator who leads a slave rebellion named Spartacus. Spartacus was a real person. The movie is largely fictional. And uh, I watched it in Latin class back in high school. And so uh, I've seen Spartacus. Uh, have you seen Spartacus, Matt? Well, Pete, I am Spartacus. There you go. There you go. Oh, I'm Spartacus. I'm Spartacus. So here's the problem with Spartacus. It's three hours long and really boring. Um, and, and I don't mean that. To, I don't mean that to be cruel. I mean, I love movies about kind of classical subjects. So I'll sit down and watch all of I, Claudius. Spartacus is pretty slow, especially by modern standards, as I recall. Yeah, I would, but I, I, Claudius yeah. has some good debauchery in it. Like, we, we had to fast forward through a lot of I, Claudius when we watched that in Latin class. And uh, yeah. sometimes whole episodes were just like, yeah. we're not even going to start this one. And, right. uh, you know, that so that that had that appeal anyway. Like those two, uh, like those two frames of Romeo and Juliet where you see Olivia Hussey's breasts, or the fact that uh, you see Romeo's butt as he's standing at the window at the uh, after the the wedding night scene, um, right. but uh, but I digress. But yeah, so the the gist was that Mark, who was going to be with us tonight, but is sadly ill and cannot be with us, which we you know we hope he gets better soon, uh, had not seen Spartacus certainly. And I'm afraid, Matt, have you you've seen Spartacus? Oh no! Is that is that a is that a command? Like you have no. seen Spartacus? <laughs> then why is it so hard to get an answer to this question? You ha- no, 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 no. I haven't. I haven't seen Spartacus. Seen Spartacus. I've seen okay. the uh, I've seen the beginning uh, part of Spartacus, where in the like the gladiator um, school. Uh, he like shows the loop of leather that's like nailed into the back of his head or something like that. It's, it's gruesome. And, uh, and then I've seen on YouTube, the, the final scene when they're trying to suss out who started the, the slave revolt, the gladiator revolt. Yeah. There's a famous scene at the end of the movie Spartacus where the Romans are trying to figure out who this Spartacus guy is who started the slave revolt. And in order to protect him, each of the individual slaves, stands up and says, I'm Spartacus, I'm Spartacus, I'm Spartacus. And because they all confess, they protect the actual Spartacus, right? Or does the actual the actual Spartacus ends up getting crucified? I think they all get crucified anyway, uh, which I think is, is what, what happened in real life as well, right? Um, 
But the point being that the individual people, it's sort of a Tom Jones situation where wherever there's a baby crying, I'm there, right? Like the individual people who are fighting for freedom all take on the mantle of being Spartacus in both a literal and figurative way. They, they seek out to ransom Spartacus from his punishment and they also and protect him, but they also are saying metaphorically, like, I carry forward the legacy of Spartacus. And and as and so that's the sort of social commentary of the scene. But a lot of people who have not sat through the the into those intermediary three hours or so, which I get again, I think it, there's a lot of long conversations that happen with a lot of intense staring between people as I as I reach back into my memory. And so I just you know, I just didn't want to subject Mark to that. And Matt, I know you probably would have gotten a kick out of the different acting techniques that are on display. But it's just like, you know, maybe it's not really worth it for us to 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 really sit down and watch all of Spartacus. And I started looking at other Kirk Douglas movies. But then it's sort of like, well, why are we interested in this? And we're interested mostly because that scene is so iconic, which Kirk Douglas isn't even in. Right. Um, or at least he's not one of the people saying I'm Spartacus. Oh, no. Does he say I'm Spartacus and confesses? And then the other guys say I Spartacus to, like, make it look like he faked. No, I, th- I think he's about to. And then someone yeah, else yeah. does it. He's like, all right, I'll, you know, this is the final one I'm going to take for the team. And he stands up yeah. and someone else, like, beats him to the punch. And then someone else does it. And then someone else does it. And I think you cut back to, you know, his his cheeks stained with tears. Right. Right. And so this is this. This is interesting. Because Matt knows the scene better than I do, and I'm the one who's seen the movie, <laughs> right? Like, and I think I've seen it twice. Well, and that's, and, uh, but that's because, like, I've I've seen the. You can eat. Look, Pete, you can eat one whole chicken, or you can eat twenty or thirty chicken McNuggets. You know, <laughs> and that's like if you eat the McNugget, I can eat that McNugget like six times. Not the same McNugget, but they're all they're all the same. They're all a product of the same you know pink slurry that's extruded from whatever. I'm I'm uh, really getting off topic yeah, tonight, un- unlike <laughs> usual. But the uh, you know I can watch that like four times on YouTube that that scene and like become really involved in in uh, all of the all of the details of it. And actually, that's something that YouTube lets you do. Like you'd be a jerk if you were to pause a movie at that climactic point and be like, hey, I actually want to really examine this and like look at all the detail and like watch it again and again. Um, but you can, you know, you can do that when you're you're streaming just little McNuggets of the movie by uh, by yourself. So like I've, I've seen it in McNugget form. Got it. So the other hook, the other reason that I thought it might be interesting to talk about this, and I'm going to stretch us a little bit outside of the strict definition of what a movie is is I have a weekly Dungeons & Dragons game I've been playing for a couple months now at a bar near my house. And uh, we've been descending into Avernus, if anyone is uh, curious. Uh, And I am playing a dwarven cleric, and his accent oscillates between Scottish and Irish and Wario, as all fake accents do. Uh, And and it's been a fun time. And it just so happens that... um, I've been thinking that the people running the games get like a cut of the little cover charge that I pay when I go to the bar. I pay like five bucks to be able to pip to play while I sit at the bar for the evening. You know, it's a, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily buy drinks. I might buy food, stuff like that. And so to sort of tip out the five or six dungeon masters, or at least cover their costs a little bit, they've started putting out a tip box. And I don't think people are really making money off of this on a net basis. Those minis are expensive, but Whenever one of the people in my game puts the tip box in front of me, uh, and not in front of me personally, but on the table that I'm sitting at, she always says, uh, toss a coin to your witcher and, and leaves, right? 
Now, I know what that means. I have not watched The Witcher TV show with Henry Cavill on Netflix. I feel like I really, really should uh, because I've been told it's like Hercules, the legendary journeys in some sort of superficial or structural stylistic way by Stokes. And so I definitely want to watch it at some point, but I haven't gotten around to it. I started reading the books and so I haven't really finished the books. I've been kind of slowly grinding through some of the books, and I, I figured I might read that to get a little bit more out of the TV show. But I know that that's a line from a song that I haven't heard, <laughs> that is from a TV show that I haven't watched. But it was presented as this sort of like very full explanation for what was happening in this social interaction. Mm-hmm. And, and I thought that that was interesting, that there was this presumption that me and this person I've been playing Dungeons and Dragons with, with a little bit, like not even all that much, don't even know that well, right? Ha, ha, that we I would share this cultural reference, which would then kind of elide over the need to sort of say, hey, you, you know, we haven't really been tipping any of the dungeon masters. We should probably throw a little money their way because they're spending money on all these miniatures that they bring, right? Um, and you don't have to bring it because they bring it and that kind of stuff. And they're giving their time and whatnot. And I just thought that was interesting, too, because it also was weird because this was somebody significantly younger than me. And you kind of think of um, movie quotes that everybody knows as something that's kind of from the past or gone its way out a little bit. I don't know if you think that way. I, I kind of feel that way that, oh, the monoculture is leaving. And it's sooner or later, someone's going to say, you know, can't believe those tossed salads and scrambled eggs. Right. And then nobody's going to know what you're talking about. It's going to be horrible. Uh, <laughs> but in fact, probably if you didn't know what that was that I just referenced, by all means, sound off in the comments. But it does seem like there is this drive to continue to create these moments of shared experience, which knowing the way that social media works and thinking about it a little bit. Well, sure, there is this yearning, right, for the thing that people share, even if. They, uh, the degree to which it is kind of circulated or the people in subgroups that circulated too is a little bit different. And I just thought that this was, this was, there was something there. There's something compelling about this, both this sort of stately old I'm Spartacus movie quote that kind of stands the test of time. And at this point has been parodied so many times that you've seen it on more TV shows than, uh, anybody has ever seen it in the movie. And, uh, and then also the sort of newer, more disposable sorts of cultural quotes, uh, and I say they're disposable only in the sense that, like, I don't know if people will be saying toss a coin to their to your witcher in 50 years. Maybe they will be right. Maybe they will be. Uh, but uh, but it's something there's there's some sort of yearning or outreach or connection. Is it funny? Is it serious? What's happening? And, and these are these are all questions that are coming to mind as, as I'm thinking about this stuff. And it also seems suitable because, you know, movies that you don't watch. The Oscars is the ultimate celebration of movies that you don't watch. Although I did watch a bunch of the Oscar movies this year and they were pretty good in general. But uh, although I didn't watch the Joker one, I, I, we didn't do that one. And no, I heard that that was that was uh, contentious. We played uh, so. we played Untitled Goose game instead which i think is a, a, a better rendition of a white-faced sociopath wreaking havoc on you know yeah. polite society on a, on a society is, is untitled goose game nominated for an oscar <laughs> it really should be. Well, no, but they both uh, but it presaged brexit right it was a right, so- right, right. society in in decline um yeah i i think that's interesting there there are a lot of of directions to go from here and i i guess let me just do the obvious one to get it out of the way which is that like we're darmocking each other all the time right like what and and darmocking each other has a a certain um has a couple of different functions one is to confirm to sort of like ratify group membership so there these things are shibboleths Right. And actually, even like shibboleth is a shibboleth because what is you, shibboleth. I actually don't I actually don't know that. Oh, I have a vague sense. 
uh, let me find the exact scripture reference. Um, that is uh, funny. I, I would have thought that you would have, you would have had it more than me. So it's uh, the uh, term. It's a Hebrew term. Uh, it's from Judges, and the and the Gileadites took the passages of Jordan before the Ephraimites, and it was so that when those Ephraimites, which were escaped, and said, "Let me go over," that the men of Gilead said unto him, "Art thou an Ephraimite?" And if he said nay, and then they said unto him, "Say now Shibboleth," and he said, "Sibboleth." For he could ah. not frame to pronounce it right. Then they took him and slew him at the passages of Jordan. <laughs> <laughs> and there fell at that time of the Ephraimites uh, 40 and 2,000. Yes. So, <laughs> so the modern, the modern. So it's a genocide, basically, what it is. So the modern shibboleth. So shibboleth is an old school version of the scene in Inglorious Bastards where Fassbender orders the. Orders three the three beers or so. Or three whiskey, beers, yeah. right? The wrong way, right? Is it the beers? I, I forget which, what it is that he orders. But when, um, but three, he yeah. holds up. Yeah, he holds up three wrong. So it's a password, but it's yeah. a it, it's a way of uh, it's a way of demonstrating group membership, right? Um, and uh, for example, if if you were ever to call the band System of the Down instead of System of a Down. <laughs> <laughs> System of the down, yes. It's, uh, that's either about depression or it's about the running game, right? right. Exactly. That's. I actually heard on K Rock a, a uh, an interview back in the day with System of the Down, and they were like, "Yeah," and some of these stupid, you know, media people uh, don't, don't even know the name of the band. They're like, "Hey, how long have you been System of the Down?" And we're like, "Losers." Anyway, that's uh right. Like it's it's a way of ratifying group group membership so like um if you talk to uh if you talk to people with whom you share an understanding like uh you know throw uh, toss a coin to your witcher like um it's because you share an understanding you share you share a context and i I think that's going to even if they're more fragmented even if they're not as universal as you imagine um i am spartacus to be right uh and I, i suppose it's not but I don't know what it would other than classic Hollywood really what do we what do we even have as a culture anymore um even if they're not that uh universal or that commonly known right like it doesn't you don't have to uh make common cause with with all of humankind right like you're you're trying to make common cause with the people sitting around in the bar you know pouring over the minifigs and and staring intensely at them right um the second way in which we're darmocking each other is that we're we're sort of uniting our we're organizing our experience by uniting it to a story that we know uh and that we sort of ha- that has stakes right I, I feel like saying, "Hey, you know, toss a couple boy, uh, toss a couple bucks to your uh, to your dungeon master, right?" Yeah, okay, good, I get that. But toss a coin to your Witcher, you know, um, imports a lot of stakes, uh, a lot of stakes into it, or or a Star Wars quote, or or something like that, like the uh, or um, you know. Uh, 
like if I were to do you a favor or you were to do me a favor, let's say, let's make you the good guy in this story. If you were to do me a favor and uh, I were to thank you for being such a good friend and you were to look at me and say, I don't have friends, I have family, <laughs> you know, you would be, you would be communicating something to me that's very profound and very, uh, you know, uh, it's kind of, it's a shorthand and that it, it unites us to the, to the, uh, nine movies soon to be 10 in the Fast and Furious extended universe. And that's, um, you know, that's, that's the other way in which we're, we're, uh, the other way in which we're darmocking each other. I think there's, there are more interesting directions to go down though, because like this has something to do to me. The, when I think about this, I, I think about memory, you know, and I think about the way memory binds communities together memory binds families together for sure like do do you have i'm sure you have pete stories in your family of origin where like do you remember the christmas when x or do you remember the vacation when y right and like these things are sort of trotted out and they can be good or bad they can be you know they can be ways of sort of like enforcing (laughs) you know uh various kinds of norms or expectations or they can be ways of sort of celebrating um you know what is unique and special about you but that like uh that that there's something you know there's something about the the repetition um you know the repetition and the memory um that that goes deeper, I think, than just uh, uh, asserting or or claiming and sort of d- testing or policing group membership, and deeper, I think, than sort of speaking in a in a metaphorical way about the um, you know about the the stuff that we uh, the 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 stories that kind of ennoble our experience by organizing it and sort of giving it um, fictitious stakes. Mm, I hear what you're saying. I hear what you're saying. Um, it's interesting because I, I we both because my family has both the the situation you know the time when the thing that you did you know the reference right because what we're really talking about also is reference. Uh, you know, I understood that reference, yep. which was such a, such a great moment in that first Avengers movie. But there were references to things that we actually did. But then there's also reference to culture that we interacted with together. And then there's, of course, the reference to the culture you interacted together that's been modified and made derivative by some sort of way that you've both interacted with it. I'm thinking of particularly for my family. There's the song Electric Avenue. You know that song? I don't. You gotta hop down to Electric Avenue, and then you take it higher. And I'm doing. A, I'm I'm singing it in the sort of mocking way that my family sometimes sings it to each other as a joke, because when we were very when we were little, me and my sister, uh, my middle sister Meg, uh, would uh, really enjoyed Electric Avenue when we were driving around on vacation, and we would do like big raspberry sounds at the end of the of that that sort of couplet, right? And then you take it higher, like 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 whatever that sort of that sort of release is that goes down after that, we would make that into a big thing as if it were a big fart, right? Or kind of a big scream or whatever. There was this big sort of primal release associated with it. So for us, the song Electric Avenue like is continues to be this kind of joke. But, but there's nothing about the song Electric Avenue in particular, independent of our experience of it, that would really suggest that this joke is universal uh, at all. Um, but then there's also things like 
I think about uh, We Sing Mother Goose was a movie that we watched like 150,000 times uh, <laughs> when we were growing up. And not, you know, a real barn burner, right? It's no Sophie's Choice, but it's no sort of like grand dame of the uh, cinematic universe, you know, writ large. But I can still remember the little scenes of like, I can stand on just one finger. And he's like, the kid puts the finger under his shoe. And, and we can all remember that. We all laugh about it. Um and yeah, so it's sort of I can see what you mean about the dar mocking and the reference, the marking of time, the idea that you shared an experience when you watched the thing that connects it to a time in your life when it happened and that in bringing it up, you're also referencing the time that you who you were when that moment happened. You know, oh, it's not just, oh, remember this We Sing Mother Goose movie that was kind of silly. No, 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 just remember the Electric Avenue song. Remember when we were, you know, when you were 12 and when I was eight. Sure. Right? There is you know, no, there, there, there is no spoon. What does that mean? <laughs> Do you, have you forgotten so quickly? One day Belinky wrote, wrote, one day Belinky wrote an email. Oh, oh, you're talking about the actual – okay, no, no, by all means, remind me because I, I only vaguely remember this. Yeah. <laughs> One day Belinky wrote an email uh, to our friend's listserv, which you know dates it, in college, and he was like, I would like to try my hand at minting a catchphrase. And the catchphrase I have decided upon is, there is no spoon, which is a line of dialogue from The Matrix. Right. And it, uh, it you know, um, is spoken by a kid to Keanu Reeves and the kid has like mastered the reality of unreality or the unreality of reality, whichever way you, you want to frame that. Yeah. And the hairiness uh, of being bald, right? right exactly. It's a deep spiritual irony. <laughs> <laughs> and he, and, uh, uh, it says, you know, the, uh, the, at the, at the superficial level, the trick, uh, is to manipulate the spoon, to manipulate the data, uh, of the spoon. And then, but at, at you know, a deeper and profound, more profound level you realize there is no spoon and um and in his uh email to us uh, Belinky said i i would like uh there is no spoon to be a cry of of triumph um so when you've mastered something when something very good has happened to you when you've you've attained victory in some fashion you uh you you know cry out triumphantly um there, there is no spoon, you know? And so, I mean, I guess it didn't work on you just now, but like to me, if any of my college friends were to say to me, you know, there is no spoon in connection with something happening, um, you know, something, uh, happening in their life, like I would, I would take that to understand that I, I would understand that there was, as you say, not just a, um, not just a reference, not just a reminding me that we are, uh, not just reminding me that we're, we're sort of bonded somehow that we're, we're friends or we're, you know, we've, we've shared a lot of experiences, but also, you know, reminding me of a time when we were, when we were a lot younger. Um, in that case, like, uh, I, I think it's it, – no, I don't think this. It It is um, unquestionably difficult a lot of the time to, to express um, uh, vulnerability or dependence. And 
I think these things, especially the ones from from like young childhood, can be a way, you know, a healthy and slightly safer way um, to to do that. Like you have them with your family because your family knows you in a way that that you know no one else does because you you grew up with them, and you know they've seen you at your you know at your sort of best and worst and and everywhere in between and like i think these things are are important because they're sort of um they're they're little rituals that uh they're mini rituals that you know mm, that guarantee that not guarantee that sort of certify that we remember one another you know and mm-hmm. that's uh I think I think that's important in sort of moments when you when you feel like you have to express feeling, you know, uh, feeling vulnerable or feeling, you know, regressed somehow that like that um, kind of safe avenues of that are available to you and sort of health healthy relationships allow you to do that, I think, at at the times when it's necessary for you. Mm hmm. So there's an element of safety you're saying in this? Yeah, some some of it like uh, uh yeah, and it's a it's even actually that that element of safety, right, is why, you know, um actually it's sort of hacky to make uh entertainment for example out of nothing but references because it's not you're sort of not putting anything you're not putting anything new on the table. Um you know, but the the uh, the thing about doing it in the context of a uh, the thing about doing it in the context of a, of a relationship is that y- y- you are putting on the table everything you know that that you once were. Right, right, right. So, like, take me as I am. <laughs> sort of that, like, warts and all is kind of what's being going. On. What What are some What are some great other movie quotes that people quote? Even if they either if they haven't seen the movie or even in the manner of not having seen the movie, because <laughs> because uh. there's also this idea that that you can sh- you can reach for that shared experience with somebody when it isn't there. We've t- so we've talked about reaching for the shared experience with a movie of a movie with somebody when it is there. That we've talked about the experience sure. of reaching for the shared experience of a movie as in it is there because you saw it together or you came up with the catchphrase together or you had a past experience together with the movie. We talked about it when it's about in-grouping, when the assumption is that because of other things that you know about this person, then you can guess right or signal to them that you're in the same group by referencing a movie or TV show that you think that they will get. And then I'm wondering – there's also I think this sense of like – Talking, referencing a movie in a way that that even if you have seen it, you're acting as if you haven't. I mean, I don't know. Maybe maybe this isn't really distinct from the other ones, but I'm thinking about the sort of like, say hello to my little friend. Right. Like this is the sort of uh, and this is sort of like and like that's like an Austin Powers joke or right. Whatever. Like uh, whenever in all of the dozens of movies or TV shows or whatever, when someone says, say hello to my little friend and it's like a dwarf or a child. And it's like no one is saying that. As if they have actually seen Scarface, right, and are and are referencing that scene in Scarface where Tony Montana is, you know, uh, taking a taking a grenade launcher against his enemies, you know, besieged in his coke palace, right? Like uh, it's uh, it's interesting to see the 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 quote kind of get get decoupled from both 
the context that in which it appears in the movie and also the sort of shared experience of having watched it uh, that feels like a sort of third leg to this stool of movie not watching. Um, I'm, I'm curious what you think about any of that. Yeah, I mean, like a lot, a lot of the... A lot of the time, though, the the quotes are misremembered, like the ones that you can deploy on on that level, um, like, uh, frankly, Scarlet, I don't give a damn. Right. Like, you, I feel like you could say that. Is that like, frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. It is frankly, frankly my it's it is frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn yeah. in the actual movie or like play it again, Sam, which is, right, not, right, right. you know, in the. Um, right. Like speaking of memory, you know, a lot of these, a lot of these, uh, quotes from movies are, are misremembered. A lot of the, the quotations are actually didn't quite happen that way. Um, yeah. Like when he says, Luke, I'm your uncle in the movie, he actually says, uh, you know, I'm your father. Gotta love me. Right. (laughs) Right. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Not the mama. I'm your father. Gotta love me. And then he throws him down the reactor shaft. I remember that movie like it was yesterday. (laughs) Oh man. (laughs) There's a great, there's a great quote. I'm the baby. Should we hold on a minute? Okay. Okay. (laughs) Not the mama. I gotta pause for a second. Cause we got to confront the, not the mama in the room. All right. <laughs> Man, Spielberg was such a great director. I love all of his work on the Star Wars franchise. <laughs> okay, 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 okay. Hold on. So, the, 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 in much the same way where you're like, faith, hope, you know, faith, hope, and charity, or faith, hope, and love are, gra- are virtues, but greatest among them is love, right? Like, lots of these movie quotes are like reference to movie quotes that have a really fraught and strange relationship with the, the uh, medium that they come from and also the context in which they were watched. But chief among them is not the mama. <laughs> like, <laughs> okay, so for those of you who are not familiar with what we're talking about, and I really want to dig into this for a little bit because it's, it's it's really hitting some nerves right now. Uh, in the uh, you know TGIF was a was a programming block of family oriented sitcoms that ran mostly in the nineties and included such shows as Full House, Family Matters, Step by Step, uh, and uh, and you would watch Twenty Twenty after it. So it's topical. Um, but in it was a, uh, a a show called Dinosaurs, which some of you are probably familiar with, where adults would be inside big latex costumes of dinosaurs and act out a sort of Flintstone sitcom uh you know and they're sort of giant walking you know farscape quality muppets right and they and with big googly eyes right and they oh one of them's you know two of them go to high school and the dad works at a, at a quarry or whatever you know and then the mom you know is, is trying to like make it as a career woman and it's hard and it's all the various social challenges and, and it's notable for a lot of things the the thing that the dinosaur show is most often described as notable for is its really dark ending which involves the extinction of the dinosaurs as they ignore the imminent threats to their livelihood from an asteroid in a sort of uh mockery of contemporary uh at the time uh indifference towards the economic the uh, ecological ruin of the of the planet earth uh but that i think that people care saying that that's the notable thing about dinosaurs uh, are, are kind of either it's either, again, strong or weak misremembering of the dinosaurs, because the chief thing about the dinosaurs that really caught on in the culture was there's a baby dinosaur. The baby dinosaur either sits in a high chair or sits on his father's back. And and it's a joke that he dislikes his father. Right. Is that is that his he likes his mother. And he dislikes his father and he accuses his father 
of not being his mother and then hits him on the head with a frying pan. Right. And 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 the the, the sort of uh, refrain is not the mama. And then the other part is I'm the baby. Gotta love me. Right. And, and there's this this relationship that's just like I mean, it's it's I mean, this kind of to be at home in a Beckett play. If you just put it, take it out and put it in isolation. Right. Like, you know, you're not the mother. You're not the mother. You're not the mother. <laughs> like, I'm the baby. I'm the baby. Right. Like, uh, you know, the, the, eventually the sun will go out. Right. And it's it's just sort of like uh, I mean, I I'm just it's it was and it, and it caught on with such joy. And there was such violence to it. <laughs> but, it, I mean, we had a dinosaur's board game. Oh, wow. Uh, which had, like, pop-up paper with the dinosaur's baby kind of presiding over all of it. Like, not the mama. I'm the baby. Gotta love me. Uh, <laughs> I mean, maybe it's because I'm on the verge of fatherhood that I'm finally kind of, like, I'm both realizing the really deep, primal terror that that statement kind of, like, uh represents right which is that you know you who have attempted to rebuild the shattered identity of your youth in this sort of new stage of your life and adulthood where you uh you kind of redefine yourself as being responsible for another person will always eternally be inadequate because you are not the mama right but also that you cannot back down from this responsibility because in fact i'm the baby gotta love me right and i'm not necessarily saying that that's what what parenthood is actually like but it's like just the fact that it caught on and the fact that everybody was saying it for like a year (laughs) i don't know it seemed all over the place and nobody's says it that much now um i mean i don't know matt did you resonate with with the baby from dinosaurs at all or was that a catchphrase that kind of struck you as odd as as a as a meme as it were very very meme worthy at the time i suppose uh flowing through the culture as the sort of quote from the tv show that everybody was saying yeah but it would be like uh like if it was this if it was today it would be me yeah, it would be memed and there would be all these variations like there would be pictures of of the 45th president of the United States and the caption would be like not Who's obama that? not obama yeah <laughs> not obama <laughs> and yep, the, yep, yep. Uh, you know um okay don't don't google this cuz i just googled it but do you know who voiced that character the baby from dinosaurs yeah no i have no idea voice actor named kevin clash does that name ring a bell to you it does. He went on to create a character for Sesame Street called Elmo. Elmo. Wow. Elmo is the baby dinosaur who said, <laughs> not the mama. So basically, that guy has made a career out of doing that voice. It's it's uh, pretty amazing. Man, gotten it and lost it and gotten it again. I don't even know. Man, we should have known that there was a seedy underbelly to Elmo if he because he played that baby dinosaur who was always giving his father concussions. Um, but... Uh, <laughs> the guy had CBT by the end of that show. Hitting someone in the head with a frying pan is serious business. That's going to hurt. <laughs> yeah, it's. But I, uh... I guess he was a dinosaur, so his skull was thicker and it didn't hurt him as much, which was part of the joke, I suppose. Their brains also were very small. Their brains were the 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 size of a pea. I, uh, I, you know, the the. I'm sorry, this has nothing to do with anything, Pete. But you oh, know, no, the, by all means, uh, there's the... no that 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 well has run dry. Those La Brea tar pits have been thoroughly burned. <laughs> the uh, the TGIF lineup history uh, goes back to 1985 when in the fall of 1985 the lineup of TGIF was 8 o'clock Webster 8.30 Mr. Belvedere Nice. 9pm Different Strokes Wow on Friday night? Yep 9.30pm Benson 
Interesting. That is interesting, isn't it? That's a, you know, look, the world don't move to the beat of just one drum. Uh, I, I had a, I had an experience. Uh, actually, this wasn't this wasn't different strokes. It was silver spoons. Where where somebody where there was a tr- there was a train like there there like we saw we saw like a, we were talking about model trains and getting a model train on Christmas. Uh, I think because my father has become a model train enthusiast and uh, and, and re- rehabbing uh, post war antique model trains. Got we it. got a model trains for Christmas. And and it was like, oh, yeah, like that train in Silver Spoons. And, and, you know, my wife is like, what? And it's like, oh, did you not watch Silver Spoons? Well, I guess not. Maybe maybe you didn't. Right. Not everybody watched Silver Spoons. Uh, and I and, and for me, Different Strokes was a Saturday morning show that was on before or after Silver Spoons. Uh, but that was probably like a re-airing or syndication situation a little bit later on. But I remember there being a train in the living room. But then I watched the theme song from the first season and it wasn't there and i was like oh no like when am i misremembering it have i gotten crazy right but no actually actually there was a train in the living room in silver spoons it was either in a later season or in an episode and not in the theme show so but sorry but but the big thing you're saying there but right is this that, is this is, is yeah. why you need you to this is why you have to you know um you have to chicken mcnugget your content because how how could you know whether or not there was a, a train or not, if you were not able to go back like on YouTube and watch someone who has put together a concordance of all uh, all the episodes of uh, <laughs> of all the 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 uh, I mean title sequences I, I mean to say of uh, Silver Spoons, you know. Um, yeah. Sorry, but I, I you no. you you were about to ennoble my ennoble uh, my observation by just redescribing it in superior fashion. So please no, don't no. don't let me stop you. I, I will say one other thing about a reference that just popped out of nowhere, which was um, the Grand Tour. For those of you who like the Grand Tour, which is the Amazon sequel to Top Gear, they did come out with a movie, I think, or like a, a long special, right? Because they've stopped making series of it, and now they're just making one-shots uh, where they travel across uh, Indochina, right, from through Cambodia and into Vietnam. And, and this was made, you know, this past year. And they do it in, uh, by boat rather than by car, which is the twist. And Richard Hammond, the sort of diminutive, outdoorsy Welsh, uh, uh, you know, chipmunk of the crew, the hamster himself, shows up in a speedboat that says Razzle Dazzle on the side that he said was used in a, t- a little TV show called Thunder, which in the United States you might know as Thunder in Paradise. <laughs> right? So he wrote an actual prop or an actual, like, yeah, I guess proper or or vehicle speedboat that was used in the Hulk Hogan television show Thunder in Paradise, which I loved, even though it was terrible, right? And watched, uh, and watched, you know, uh, at least to the extent that it was available and on. Um, and it was really weird to see this relic of a boat that had just been sitting around in Southeast Asia <laughs> or something, right? Trotted out and driven down the Mekong River uh, by a British television host. Um, and it, there was just this way in which, you know, it's like, well, I, I've seen you've you've seen Thunder, right? Like I've seen Thunder. And the point is that if you go on YouTube, you can watch, you know, all of the different theme songs, different episodes, everything that you would ever want to watch about Thunder in Paradise, uh, which is basically Knight Rider meets Baywatch. Right. Or, uh, you know, or um, uh, I guess what, like uh, like Jimmy Buffett meets Airwolf, uh, <laughs> those kinds of things. Um, but sorry, no. So we've got we've drifted away from the topic. We've drifted away from the topic. We were talking about about catchphrases. Right. You were. So. So. OK. So what you were t- bringing up was the the progression. Right. And what I was going to think about was the sort of, uh, 
you know, the, that turn, right? That the end of that sonnet <laughs> of uh, of Webster, Belvedere, different strokes, Benson. Benson, <laughs> right? it's yeah. Sort of like, <laughs> that's like, shall I compare thee to a summer's day? They're more lovely, more tempted. Da, 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 Benson. <laughs> right? like, uh, now, granted, I love Robert Guillaume, and I'm not, and I'm not. This is a compliment for Benson. This is not bashing Benson, but but I tend to think of the work of Robert Guillaume, even his sitcom work, as lacking the light triviality of a Mr. Belvedere. <laughs> Right. Like, uh, um, you know, very special episodes about AIDS notwithstanding. Uh, but um, but that Benson, I mean, that's a spinoff of soap. Right. And the character of Benson is a sort of uh, relatively self-serious butler who kind of serves as the mod of the show. Right. They sort of uh, has his things together and is able to kind of speak truth to everybody around him. Um as I recall. Yeah. It's, uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. And it, it, and it's Robert Guillaume, which is like, you yeah. know, bringing a Tony award winning gun to a knife yeah. fight, you know? Yeah. Um, not, not, I mean, you know, for for now, I mean, maybe the best way to describe Robert Guillaume is what, like, the black Patrick Stewart in terms of the amount of gravitas that he brings. Or Rob Patrick Stewart is the white Robert Guillaume. <laughs> right? Like, uh... <laughs> you know, the yeah, first I, I first became aware of of Robert Guillaume as a, as a phantom of the opera. He he actually he played the phantom of the opera, uh, um, you know, with uh Oh, he didn't win a Tony Award. I'm sorry. Just uh, he was nominated for Best Actor in a Musical in 1977 for Guys and Dolls. He was nominated, but he did not win that year. He won a Primetime Emmy for Soap, and right. uh, then went on to went on to star in Base uh, Benson, for which he won another Emmy um in 1985, and uh, then won a Grammy in 1995 for. Uh, Grammy Award for Best Spoken Word Album for Children, uh, for The Lion King Read Along. <laughs> oh, very nice. very nice. But yeah, he's a he's I mean, a. We know from Sports Night and from other things, yeah, right? Exactly. Like he's just a you know somebody who really elevates a performer who really elevated any dish he was in. Um, uh, yeah, and what, exactly, and he was a you know like classically trained and and highly skilled theater actor of you know of of repute yeah. and renown and and we and could probably say perhaps unjustly not recognized for his stage work sufficiently uh might maybe a stretch perhaps because of his race <laughs> we might say uh that maybe what? He would be. <laughs> the, the devil you say Pete. uh all right so so uh yeah it is it's interesting that then so it goes on full house um right. comes on in uh you got in... it dude have mercy <laughs> what's your favorite full house one-liner catchphrase cut it out cut it out <laughs> <laughs> there's actually a there's a promo video that somebody once made music video someone made for my improv theater once where they they ended up videotaping people kind of walking around and standing around the improv theater a lot of it in slow motion and the only shot of me in it is me standing with two other guys i was doing improv with at the time talking by the bar and it's in slow motion and i know that i'm doing the dave coulier cut it out but it's like too slow to really appreciate that that's what's happening you don't get to see all of it um it's sort of a little fragment that's kind of hidden in there um so yeah so um what i'm saying is is uh matt is that reference man of world uh, <laughs> uh, f- f- then in comes uh family matters 
Yep. Right. Yep. Yep. That's, Did I uh, that? Well, yep. that's okay. So, a uh, d- little digression into a personal story here. Uh, okay. Two, two little, two, two ways of looking at Julia White. Okay. Um, one is that I, I briefly, while I, while I was in the entertainment industry, shared a manager with Julia White, <laughs> though uh, he was a famous client, and I was a, a as they say, developmental uh, client, like uh, just seeing if this kid goes somewhere. Um, the other thing is that uh, I, I heard uh, from someone today that uh, uh, her favorite, uh, my girlfriend said her favorite spin instructor is dating Julia White, uh, and I, you know. Know, was in a humorous mood and I said, Oh yeah, every time they have sex, does he look up and say, Did I do that? Jesus, <laughs> oh man. I would have asked, oh, is she dating Steve or Stefan? But still it's all Stefan. I mean, that's who he really is. That that was always the irony of that character, right? Is that he's a very like uh, poised and a and adroit and is adroit the right word? What's the word I'm looking for? Yeah, sure. Oh, I mean um, it, yeah. Yeah. Not Android. Sorry, Google. <laughs> <laughs> Having or showing skill, cleverness, and resourcefulness in handling situations. But he yeah. also, yeah, and he, he, I think, uh, I happen to know a little bit about this because we shared a manager. You know, he was at pains to distance himself from the the Steve Urkel role in in later life. Like, I, no one, I guess, no one should ever apologize for having created a sort of indelible um, cultural icon. But you know, it does it. Does does sort of hamper your com- career a little bit if you're only seen as that and uh you know can't ever break out of that box now you know cry me a river a lot of people can't get work at all in the entertainment industry or or any industry and like uh if you can work like probably probably in bad taste to complain but i do also see the see the point that like you you don't want to uh you don't want to be that you don't want to be that forever. You don't want to be stuck in that, right? Like there's, there's, that's, that's the thing about like reference and memory and things like that, right? Like, which is that like, um, you, you visit it, you know, it's a nice place to visit, mm-hmm. but you would want to live there. Uh, right. Like I, I, if I had to watch the ABC TGIF lineup now, right. Uh, I, I would probably throw my television out the window just because our, mm-hmm. our taste in entertainment are so different and like the way stories are told now are so different. Like I, I, I guess I would really like the, the dark gritty reboot of different strokes, you know? Uh, mm-hmm. but, uh, different strokes was pretty dark, but it like, but different strokes was weird, right? Because I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but like it's a weird show where it actually was fairly serious, but it was almost like it was an open secret that everyone was ignoring how serious it was. It was, you know, different strokes actually taught me about uh, was the first piece of media um, that addressed systemic racial bias in a way that I. Uh, that I could understand as as yeah, a kid, as a child, yeah. yeah. So the the and the particular the particular one was that like um, they weren't doing Arnold and Willis weren't do I mean you know talk about quotables. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what are you talking about? <laughs> I don't know what are, what are you what are you talking about, Pete? Well, what are you talking about? <laughs> what are you talking about, Ben? What are you talking about? <laughs> if only there was a way to say it faster. <laughs> but um, but they they weren't doing well on standardized tests, and this was you know disquieting uh, to Mister Drummond. Drummond, the the yes, it's Drummond. Okay, yeah, yeah got it. Yeah. And he. Um, 
looked into this with the schools and he looked at some of the tests and the tests were like analogies like, you know, or it, you know, or is to regatta as blank is to shrimp cocktail, you know, and that's like, (laughs) it's like they don't, uh, you know, and so then they, they made some like stereotypical hood SAT questions up and like Arnold and Willis posed these to the, you know, to the white principal of the school to, to make the point that like there are different cultural contexts and, you know, a lot of these things aren't that you think are like objective measures of intelligence are actually like a product of cultural context and cultural context are kind of uh, manufactured and, and well, there are shlip- shibboleths, you know, like mm-hmm. regatta. Like I didn't grow up on the East Coast. I, I didn't know what the hell a regatta was until <laughs> the early 2000s, you know? Um, and I, and, and I grew up you in would know Al- it if you were in the boy scouts in the cub scouts oh yeah there was a a regatta event yeah it's the it's the boat uh, equivalent of the pinewood derby there was a uh so it's even more biased right it was the rain gutter regatta is the cub scout uh boat equivalent of the pinewood derby um so i would have gotten that question right but that's because i belong to a very specific extracurricular activity <laughs> so it was kind of expensive to be part of so it's even worse <laughs> i got some kids are being taught what it is and others are not yeah it's a, i mean it, this is a um i mean this is girl scout cookie season isn't it and so like uh you you are reminded of like those those traditional things i was not a scout i was in a the ymca parent child uh activity thing have i have i talked to you about this before um the ymca parent child activity thing they need to come up with a better name for that it was it was called indian guides that they need to come up with a better name for that. <laughs> there were four <laughs> versions: uh, father, son, mother, son, father, daughter, and mother, daughter. And it was like a parent-child bo- bonding time. It was for you know older for older kids. And then you would go to like um, uh, you would go to a uh, big like summer camp thing called a powwow. Right? The the whole thing was super racist. But the uh, and and I hope they don't do it anymore. At least not under that name. But um, the it seems four- like it would be trivially easy to strip it of the racism and have it do exactly the same thing yeah spend time with your dad (laughs) the um so the the interesting things uh the interesting thing to me and i i actually caught this fairly young is that there were four versions they had different names father son was called indian guides mother son was called indian braves um wow right uh father daughter was called indian princesses and mother daughter was called Indian maidens. Jeez, jeez, I know. And did no one did no one think through like perhaps these forms of idealization, right? Are not. I mean, it really set makes aside. the not the mama dinosaur look awfully progressive. <laughs> <laughs> what a way to characterize the relationship. Jeez, yeah. set aside versus maidens. Oh and, my and, and guides versus braves. Yeah, yeah. Um, the uh, yeah. Set aside uh, the whole fraught issue of the you know genocide of the native people on the continent of north america by european settlers set just just set Uh, that aside let's be fair it wasn't the settlers exactly who did it the traders uh, and the governments uh, also had a large side sorry but i i mean settlers (laughs) to encompass the the society that kind of came over from europe you know i mean the (laughs) the, like the the uh um the 
well, and it happened to, to the whole continent and several others as well. But the, um, you know, the set, set that aside, just like, is there, is there something like, wrong i mean did did no one realize that there's probably something a little suspect about like idealizing the little boys and girls in in precisely these stereotypical uh precisely these stereotypical terms right but the- well i mean to go back to what we're talking about oh sorry you, you go and finish that thought because it's worth finishing i don't want to interrupt it but it is i mean it is you know an interesting thing right because the 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 whole like d- dressing up like indians or playing cowboys and indians or you know um it's it's really persistent like a parasite you know has the the little kid in it who who uh likes to play likes to like build a teepee in the yard you know and wear a feathered headdress and like um you know kind of do various things that are kind of stereotypically associated with the stereotype of the uh you know of the the certain native american peoples you know and that's like that 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 is a movie that everyone has seen and that like we're, we're quoting from as well. So it's, it's interesting that the phenomenon we've been treating the phenomenon as, as more or less, um, you know, uh, more or less benign, but, uh, there, there is a malevolent side to it as well. Yeah. And it's, it's like, what do you remember it from? Right. The thing that you remember it from might be something different, because when they're saying that, they're almost certainly thinking of TV shows and radio plays. Right. Not about history. They're thinking about the kind of representations, uh, you know, they're thinking of of Peter Pan. You know, they're thinking of the Lone Ranger. They're thinking of all sorts of stuff where uh, where these these particular characters are being, you know, these historical realities and, and what yeah, they're saying John Ford movies and, yeah, and yeah, yeah. all those things. Yeah. Well, they're probably not thinking of of the searchers because <laughs> they, they yeah, little Comanches. Right? Like it's it's not uh, not exactly the same uh, the same the same M.O. that the, gen- the people generally have in those things. But, yeah, it is it is interesting that uh, I think I think that I think I think this is a really interesting and fraught conflict. And like what we're pointing to right now, which is sorry, the notion that um, the the shared experience that you have with somebody else with a piece of culture in particularly like a reference, even like a one liner or a name of a character or something um, to you might carry a very specific, uh, a very specific uh, significance. Right. So, you know, hop down to Electric Avenue for me is about farting in the back of a Mazda MPV, you know, in like 1993, right? But, um, or whenever it was that that song came out, uh, or fake farting as it were. But like, you know, one could certainly say, well, you know, what sort of disrespect are you paying to this artist? Or like, is the fact that that this artist is kind of speaking in a Caribbean accent, uh, we've even perhaps a touch of patois, something that you as a child find funny, because it's strange to you and you're exoticizing it because, uh, you know, children are inherently prejudiced against that which is not familiar to them. <laughs> like, um, uh, uh, because I don't know, it, it's interesting, right? It's like, I can't necessarily undo my past experience with Electric Avenue. I can only take it higher. Bow. But um, but but when people when people get upset about these sorts of references getting stripped, like okay, we need to rename the Indian Braves program because it's inappropriate, weird from like a gender sexuality standpoint. This whole taxonomy, right? And also like uh, you know, it's 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 talking about something really 
gruesome and terrible. And and uh, well, it isn't though, right? It's it, it's it's washing over it and sort of faking an amicable an amicable relationship where one is perhaps uh, not warranted given the sequence of events that's led to this point. Um, that's a whole other conversation. But the part that I'm interested in here is trying to get rid of it. And then people being opposed to it because they have really fond memories of the program, right? Um, and and that's a thing where I think our generation might have lucked out a little bit with our cultural references because a lot of the one-liners we're talking about aren't really hugely glaringly racist, right? But uh, but for any previous generation, probably going back to the dawn of time, they probably would have been like really prejudiced against somebody, right? Yeah. And, and ours are probably really prejudiced too, but about different groups of people or, or something, right? Like, um, I'm not saying they're perfect, but it's like, the, there were definitely really big, significant changes as to the the kind of language that was used to make you know, comic characters and catchphrases, you know, around and prior to the time that we were watching television. I mean, as we talked about with regards to different strokes, they were making a sincere effort to articulate these kinds of issues in a way that maybe wasn't really being articulated as much prior, at least not more than a decade or two. Um, and so, yeah, so you can you can imagine somebody for whom all their cultural references like this all have this sort of tinge of, I mean, what you would call political incorrectness. Right. And they see it as a personal attack on their own memory. Um, as well as perhaps, you know, a kind of cringe for other reasons. You can start to see in the context of this, you know, why why we can be really hard to disentangle de-darmocking somebody, right, outgrouping somebody with trying to update something like that kind of nomenclature. Um, sorry, the, we're, we're, way, we're way off track here uh, in terms of the topic. Um, not the I was going to say, what were we, what were we not, talking about? Not Willis? the topic. Uh, <laughs> not the topic. I'm the baby. Not the topic. Gotta love me. Um, <laughs> Gotta like and subscribe. <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> well, oh, Pete, we man. Were talking... I'm just trying to think about, yeah. Well, yep. we were talking about uh, we were talking about films that uh, yeah. you may not have actually seen, but that live right. in memory, um, yes. in you know, and have sort of established cultural meanings, like like uh, I'm Spartacus or right, Sophie's right, Choice, right. to take another, to a slightly more malevolent one, or um, you know, I, uh, there there are a whole bunch of these that like you, uh, you know, that that we sort of, you know, we sort of live live with these things and like yeah it is it is an interesting i mean it is an interesting thing there's a push pull between what what we can control what we can't control like um you know what what uh like what we can what we can alter versus what we can't alter for one reason and another and it's important to remember these things were these things were made you know they didn't like wash up on the beach you know fully formed by the hand of god somehow like a like a perfect stone you know like it's it's okay like it's you know it's it's all right like the the original hardy boys my dad used to read me the the uh the hardy boys um as a like a bedtime storybook kind of thing and you know try to find the mysteries and he would do like voices for all the adventurous parts and the the jumping on the running boards of cars and like he you know read the versions that he had but we found original uh hardy boys from like the the pre-war whatever you know the 30s or something and they legit they straight up we found like reproductions of the original they straight up have the n-word in them Oh, the, it's it's awful. Yeah. 
like it's really bad and uh like it's like whoa and he he like held the book out like at arm's length like a dirty diaper or something like that um and uh you know we we do no harm to franklin w dixon by uh you know by uh, writing that by writing that out of the story you know you yeah. don't you i don't, mean yeah yeah that's one of the good things about these reboots, I think. I was talking about this because when you're saying you can't change it, you don't mean you have when you make a Hardy Boys movie, you have to have them say the N word, right? Or like you have to read the old Hardy Boys books with the N word in them, right? There is an opportunity. There is an opportunity to kind of like, and I'm not saying you should you know, get rid of all or their the Hardy friend Boys. or their friend Tony, the Italian, who is repeatedly described as swarthy. <laughs> you don't have to keep all that stuff in the, the swarthy I mean, Italian. People, people will deny that that ever existed nowadays. They, they they disbelieve it so much. They're like, oh, no, that that was never a thing. You're just making it up. It's like, nope, <laughs> go back and read the Hardy Boys. Books. And so that is fun to, like, preserve the Hardy Boys books to know these things about who we used to be, just to know that it's possible and that there might be ways that we've changed that we don't remember or understand. And but when you're saying you can't change them, what you're what you're saying is like you can't change what they were at the time that they were made. Oh no, yeah, sorry, and I thought I said if you, you can't, have a memory of them. Yeah, you can change. You can change them. You know what I mean? And like, if uh, you can change them, like you can you can create some new Hardy Boys stories. Like that's not you know the racism isn't part of the DNA of the thing. You have to sort of extrapolate backwards uh, uh, from time. And like if if the race is you know integral to the dna of the thing let's maybe not reboot that property (laughs) i I mentioned a couple times in the podcast i'm a fan of remakes more than most and i like to see different sorts of interpretations of things and uh and and while I i do sort of great somewhat at the kind of really theatrical you know, reimaginings of pieces for very sort of transparent sorts of representational reasons. It's like, oh, I mean, I guess I'll probably, maybe I'll go see it. Maybe I won't. It just seems like we're kind of taking the fun away sometimes um, when, when it's like, uh, like really digging into it and redoing all the characters, but keeping the same language. The big one is for me is like Shakespeare plays sure. where it's like past a certain point, it just sort of seems to break because it's like, you're still using the original language, but you're kind of changing everybody who's in it. And sometimes it really works and sometimes it doesn't. And it just seems like a lot of trouble. Uh, and I get a little bit weary of it, but if you're doing something like remaking the Hardy boys, you know, change it. <laughs> Right. Change it. Uh, And mostly because you you would not have that sort of uh, really intense devotion to maintaining the original language of the Hardy Boys books. I guess perhaps that's the thing that that gets to me about um, these these changes is sort of like, are you are you trying to preserve are you trying to preserve the notion that you're presenting an authoritative original version of the text? Right. Um, Or an authoritative version of the text. Or are you. Provide are you sort of not necessarily privileging the text as a sort of superior uh, experience because you're recognizing the kind of time passes and people change, right? And and uh, and as such, so what I'm talking about is partly how why I like the movie Troy, right? Which is not a particularly faithful reproduction of anything, uh, but but a very faithful uh, very faithful follow on to the grand tradition of making you know English language. Uh, retellings of the Trojan War that aren't particularly faithful reproductions of anything, which is a tradition that goes back like 600 years. Um, and, and and the thing about it, I mean, I, we, the example that came up recently with regards to this was the Foundation books, 
right, uh, which are being made currently into a television series. Sure. Uh, I believe – is it by Amazon or Netflix? I don't particularly know. One of them. Um, yeah, and I'm a big Isaac Asimov fan. I grew up reading tons of Asimov. I love Asimov. But, of course, I recognize that he is a very old man. You know, he died a number of years ago. And, uh, and you, know, he, you know, the first Foundation stories came out in, like, 1941 or 1942, right? And if you read any science fiction from 1942, it's going to be ghastly. Uh, and I was talking about this a little bit on Facebook with some sci-fi enthusiasts. But at the same time, you know— I don't I'm not I'm not comfortable with the notion of like, let's forever damn the notion of the Foundation series as being retrograde because it has those moments in it. Right. Just make a TV show of it. Right. Remake it. Reperform it. Reinterpret it. Uh, you know, and maybe you can go back and read the original books. But you know, maybe there can be kind of a change. Right. Like, um, Maybe and, and I guess what it really boils down to is that, you know, the scenes where the woman goes and bakes a pie while the men are talking are not important to the story. Right? Like, it's just it's just not important and you don't need to have it. And the story would be better without it. Uh, and, and it's just a reflection of what was kind of stock at the time. Uh, and, and it does not need to be hewed to. Uh, per se, right? But uh, as conflicted as I am, but it's sort of like. So you're saying you're saying that by watching Spartacus, you're not actually uh, endorsing uh, enslaving the people whom you conquer in war and forcing them to to fight to the death in blood sport for your amusement. <laughs> what I'm saying is that if you sit down with somebody to play Dungeons and Dragons at a bar and you say, hey, did you ever see Spartacus? And they say, Spartacus, blood on the sand. I loved it. Right. Recognize, <laughs> recognize that perhaps you have more of a shared interest than you think. And perhaps you should not say, oh, you have to see the original Kirk Douglas one. It's the good one. That one's trash. Right? Like it's um, it's perhaps there's room for more than one spartacus interpretation over time and it is to kirk douglas's credit of course that through the uh the 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 width the broadness of his shoulders the intensity of his glare and the dimpliness of his chin uh as well as the sort of gravitas of his uh uh, perhaps implausible sub servitude uh, uh, that 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 image of him has endured for so long, even beyond the point where anybody bothers watching the movie anymore. Uh, you know, that's uh, it's it's a frozen moment, I guess. And it travels with us and we and we have to figure out what to do with it, <laughs> which is, I guess, kind of what we've been sussing out today. Um, yeah, absolutely. So toss a coin to your well, like, yeah, yeah, exactly. exactly. Like a, like a, like any frozen moment. Uh, you have to remember, uh, let it go. Let it go. <laughs> you can't hold it back. You no, know, I only saw that recently. I hadn't seen it previously, and it means something totally different than what I thought. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. That's why you shouldn't go around quoting movies you haven't seen. This has been the Overthinking Podcast. That's Pete Fenzel. I'm Matt Rather. Thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with more Overthinking It Podcast. Till then, visit us on the web at overthinkingit.com, where we subject the popular culture, whether we've seen it or not, to a level of scrutiny... It probably, it probably doesn't, doesn't deserve. deserve. Have you seen that movie? Um, 
that movie where it's the monsters and they're piling things on top of each other. Mm. And, and like the two, it's the classic movie monsters and they're like building giant heaps of rubble and they're shoving it on top of one another. Yeah. And at one point, one of them is able to run around because he hasn't had any rubble put on top of him. And he, and he says, King Kong ain't got nothing on me. Uh, right. That's, that's what that means. Right. That's what that line means. Cause I have no idea what that line means. I don't know. I don't know what King Kong has or doesn't have on Denzel Washington in training day. I really don't. Yeah. Like, is it, is it that he's monstrous? Is it that he climbs buildings? Is it, is it sort of a vague racist allusion to the LeBron James cover with Giselle? Is it, uh, like, uh, I don't know. Is it, is it because it was beauty killed the beast and, is that Ethan, and Ethan, well? Ethan Hawke is very beautiful. <laughs> Oh, fair enough. Fair enough. 